Welcome to the ABCs to live your dope life. This is an opportunity to be a fly on the wall while I engage with some of the most fascinating, inspiring, and brilliant people I know who have played a direct or indirect role in my own healing and continued growth process. The change process is not easy, comfortable, or nearly as fast as so many of us wish it would be. And my hope with this podcast is to instill some playfulness, simple tools to practice, and ultimately, a place for you to recognize that you are not alone. A dope life is one that is aligned with who you truly desire to be, and a congruency between what is deep beneath the surface and what shows above the surface. It's the real, the raw, the complexities of our light and our shadows. The only thing that is ever truly in your way is you. Join me on this journey as we continue to grow stronger together. It's time to live your dope life. All right. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I am excited to be sitting here um, in a virtual Zoom conversation with Christine Wischke. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Yay, thank you. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, this is uh, really fun. And you're someone actually during the last two or three weeks of um, pretty much self-isolation. Other than my husband, I think you are someone that I've seen the most, actually. (laughs) Just with your uh, online meditations, what you've been offering for your community during this time. Um, It's been really fun for me to be able to be a part of that. No, thank you. They've been so much fun. They've been mm-hmm. so good. They've been really nourishing and resourcing for me during this. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have to, I have to say, even before I get into my first question, just because it's top of mind, um, I think it was the second meditation that you hosted during this, this time um, where you had us actually go through this process of... Uh, this, it came to the near of the end of the meditation, but you had us visualizing holding COVID-19, holding the virus in our hands and sending it love and like turning towards it and holding it and embracing it. And um, for me, that was really, really profound to do that and gave me insight, more insight into how that's the work I need to be doing with absolutely anything that comes up that I'm not comfortable with that doesn't feel good or that I hate or that I'm in a pattern of avoiding it's just like if I can hold the virus and send it love how can I not do that with absolutely anything yeah it's like here's this here's this thing that is wreaking so much havoc on our world and I think I said in that meditation at at the beginning like before we walk through the process of basically embracing everything that arises that idea that if it exists at all that it has a reason for existing and I think that's the thing we tend to fight with or or um you know it's kind of like that whole zen thing where your personal preferences kind of get in the way Mm -hmm. of, of your really good practice of being in that space in that space of open awareness Mm -hmm. which it's kind of for me in my personal practice, <laughs> I can see that happening with so much is being interrupted right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So much of my personal preferences are being just thwarted because I can't 
go to work and I can't just get up off the couch and go to the store because I want a bag of popcorn. <laughs> you know? like, it's like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really kind of putting a, putting a high level of awareness on how I fight with what is, mm-hmm. you know, so, or those places mm-hmm. where I do. And then to have that process of just embracing it, yeah. kind of like holding it in your hands and seeing it as a as a being that has just as much entitlement to exist as I do and thanking it for its existence and mm-hmm. there's something for me that's really powerful about that process yeah so I'm, glad you, I'm glad you mentioned it yeah you know it, I was actually doing some reflecting and writing this morning and and one of the things that you know I often say is like don't we want to be mindful of what we're feeding and what we're fighting and well, and and to really get clear on well, what does that mean? Because sometimes I know for myself, even in the past, when I've had a I've been aware of a habit or a thought pattern or something that I, I just is not serving me anymore. And then this concept of well, don't feed it can be confusing because well, it's almost like well, holding it in my hands and embracing it and loving it could be perceived as a way of feeding it in a sense. When really that's feeding it is when you fight it or avoid it or stack yeah. more on top of it of like I'm mad that I'm feeling this and then I'm frustrated that I'm mad and I'm I'm yeah. sad that I'm mad and frustrated right and so we're stacking and that's another way of feeding it but by yeah. actually turning towards it it's that's okay. how we release it which seems counterintuitive I think on the surface level it really is counterintuitive and I think what you're pointing at is the difference between being with what is like truly being with it and indulging in a pattern like because I think we can get almost like magnetically hooked into cycles and negative feedback loops Mm -hmm. and then we there's so there's sort of like an indulging in it's kind of like if you feel sad you know, you can kind of indulge in a poor me story mm-hmm. <laughs> and feed that sadness, but it, it's different than being with sadness as pure energy or as pure emotion. Yeah. As if it's like this little infant that you're holding and it's like, oh, baba. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so for me, yeah. the difference is, is meeting, meeting what is with compassion. Yeah. And and the you know and versus indulging in yeah that's a great way of discerning the difference yeah oh okay so so back to my first question yeah (laughs) um to to kind of set the stage for today and you know to really honor today as it is uh what what is in and or on your heart today Hmm. well I think that probably the biggest thing would be the, I guess, concern of our current global situation. Mm-hmm. So I was just tuning in as like, like, is that on my mind or is that on my heart? But I think that it's both. And I feel in that last worldwide meditation that we did, the, the Facebook one, we I don't know if you were there, but we went through this process of really, really, really resourcing ourselves well and getting to that, you know, that sense of where you're just overflowing, like you just bring in the light and you bring in the source energy or whatever your word for that is until you're overflowing. And then we reach 
reached out through the field to find somebody who's suffering right now? Mm. And is there a way that I can, you know, is there somebody who's forgotten that they can trust their body? Is there someone who's forgotten that it, you know, that the, that they have something good within them because they're so Mm. overwhelmed with whatever symptoms are are louder Mm -hmm. and there was something for me in that process that was so deeply touching that Mm -hmm. I could just I just felt such compassion for everybody who's been like I could see it (laughs) you know it's like wow this is really impacting a huge percentage of our population right now and I felt such deep deep compassion for not necessarily just the people suffering but it's like our whole world right Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. oh yeah so I think that's what what's probably really on my heart is the twofold the way that this virus is impacting our world on the say negative side so the the the, let's say negative impact the suffering that it's causing Mm -hmm. but on the other side of that the I'm really touched by how it's bringing people together and the things that I'm seeing on social media, it's, it's profound. Like the scene in Italy of people singing out their windows and that there's these moments within this intense chaotic time of real powerful connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like this flip into what matters. Yeah. Yeah, so both of those things. Mm-hmm. There's, there's the tensegrity. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, that sounds like tensegrity, um, yeah. <laughs> which is great because that's really, you know, the, the theme of our conversation today, of course, is fascia, the fascial system, um, which is what I've learned from you over the last few years, uh, and tensegrity being a really important cornerstone of, of uh the insights we receive by working with fascia. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. so before we even get deeper into tensegrity, um, well, I guess we can talk briefly too about how we know each other and, and what it is that you do. Um, at the end, I'll, I'll get you to plug yourself of everything that's going on as much as you can. I know every day is kind of a little uncertain at this point. Um, but I, I can say that it, I think it was three years ago that I met you for the first time. Um, I believe it was in Robin Campbell's um, yoga life coaching. I think that was the first time I met you. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Uh, yeah, so it was, it was uh, so I believe that was three years ago. And I was in a, a six-day course with Robin Campbell, who's going to be my next guest, actually, on the podcast. Oh. Yeah, so I'm really excited for that. <laughs> Um, but we were having a an afternoon on the vagus nerve, and right. and so you came in and you spoke to us um, from the fascial perspective of yeah. how we can strengthen and understand how to utilize the the vagus nerve, which I've just become like I geek out on the vagus nerve all the time now. It's like my favorite thing to ask people. Have you heard of the vagus nerve? Uh, <laughs> I'm so excited that my little presentation got you so excited about it. Oh, it got me so <laughs> amped up. And I um I signed up for your yoga teacher training immediately after that. Yes. Um, and initially I'd signed up for the two hundred hours and after one workshop with you I, I said like well I'm just gonna do all five hundred. Yeah. So we're now in the process of, of doing that. And I've had um a Reiki session with you as well. 
um been on a yoga retreat with you so yeah i'm i'm a big fan yeah yeah the the nature retreats are so much fun (laughs) oh yeah that was such a gift that was so fun um how else what else is it that you do how else do you kind of describe um the roles you play or you know what Um, you do in the world there's a few things so i i guess the probably the two main ones would be my my private practice which is manual therapy combined Mm -hmm. with somatic trauma work so I do the Mm -hmm. two I I'm a certified Hakomi practitioner which is a somatic trauma therapy Mm -hmm. it's like a mindfulness based a mindfulness based somatic therapy Mm -hmm. so we use mindfulness um we do trauma work but we do it really through the body there's not a lot of talking sometimes Mm -hmm. we'll 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 um, get insight into um, but that usually comes at the end of the process and that's usually very organic like once you've discharged trauma insight tends to just follow <laughs> organically yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's a beautiful way of working with trauma somatically and then I'm a myofascial therapist as well so I'm a massage therapist but I specialize in myofascial work I've taken five years of training with John Barnes, who's a mm-hmm. osteopath. It's an osteopathic form of myofascial release. So it's very gentle. Mm-hmm. And what I, in just in my kind of languaging of trauma work, I, I called the John Barnes approach trauma-informed palpation. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, very, it's very collaboratively done with the nervous system. So that's the type of um, hands-on work that I do, which I can't do right now because of the COVID-19 issue, which is yeah. a little bit scary. Yeah. Um, and then my other realm is I'm a yoga therapist and I have been a yoga therapist for 25 years. And I now mainly just focus on teacher training. So I mainly mm-hmm. train people to become yoga instructors. Mm-hmm. And ho- I'm actually hoping that at some point Robin and I will team up <laughs> yeah. and some type of yoga therapy program or, or yoga mentorship program that'll be a little bit more one-on-one yeah like, beautiful using yeah a little more therapeutically yeah wow yeah that man that's a powerful duo yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. stay tuned robin and i are gonna team up <laughs> beautiful so i'll make sure to include in the show notes you know the link to hakomi because that's often one of the questions is well how do i spell that what is that so i'll, I'll include that um, as well as your website, because I know you have um, yeah. lots on there for people to see. And one of the things that I love about the way that you set up your yoga teacher training is how flexible and inclusive it really is. So it's it's not like a lot of trainings where it's you sign up and you have to show up on these weekends within this one year. And of course, there's flexibility in general with most programs, but yours from the get-go, it's very clear that it's like you have five years to complete this program and here are the dates you can attend and if it doesn't work out then you just wait till next year or if there's another um workshop that pops up and and i because i love learning and training and doing lots of different things it's so nice to have that flexibility yeah Yeah. thanks for that feedback too because i think one of the main reasons why i set my program up to be that way is because i've spent the last 12 years as a single mom raising my son by myself and yeah. having very limited external support. I had my parents, but 
um, I did the majority of what I did on my own. And so I just remember struggling with things like that with limitations and and parameters on things I wanted to do. And it's like, I can't do this as a single mom. Mm. And so when I started forming my program, I was like, I gotta, I gotta support single moms. So I made the program to be like a single mom friendly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I actually also have um, a sponsorship program for single moms. So if someone is a single mom or any marginalized um, population at all that you're you know you're not in that privileged category where things are easy for you financially I ask people to reach out to me and apply for the sponsorship program Mm. and so then you get a reduction in financing or you know like I work I just will work with you so that you can meet your goals yeah yeah that I didn't know that. That's really cool. That's something yeah. I'll I'll definitely add to my my pitch when I'm talking to <laughs> people about you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, just really yeah. want to support all the single moms out there. <laughs> yeah, that's so beautiful. Well, why don't we dive right into fascia? Because one of one of the common questions I get initially when I light up about the fascial system um, is, you know, for the the average person, I would say. Most people, and that might be a stretch, um, but a lot of people know what fascia is. They've heard of fascia. Um, and it's definitely a word that, you know, we're seeing more and more, um, especially in yoga studios, the way that it, people are speaking about fascia. Um, but in, in your work, you really take it, you expand it to, to see it as something much bigger than what maybe we initially thought it was. And yeah. so that's the fascial system. So why don't you walk us through the, the difference okay. of what those are? Yeah, so, so typically when someone defines fascia, they'll say it's the connective tissue. And so <clears throat> the, the fascia at the, I think it was the last fascial congress, which was, I'm pretty sure in 2019, they decided to split the definition into two separate, like two, not separate, but two distinct categories. So just to clear up the confusion around that. So the, on one hand, you have the fascia as individual tissues and that would be where the connective tissue like as we think i mean fascia connective tissue fits into the other definition as well but the um so the first definition would be the um fascia as individual structures in the body so it's like a fascia would be a, a, a sheet or a sheath or a um maybe a a tendon or a ligament so when mm-hmm. we think of things in terms of individual anatomical parts that would be a fascia right and then we have the definition which is the fascial system and that's more when we think of the fascia as a now, now we don't necessarily individualize it into pieces and parts, though it includes those pieces and parts, but it's not limited to them. Mm-hmm. So it's not, um, so it's just a little bit more of an all-inclusive definition of everything that's contained within the fascial system. Mm-hmm. So we think of in the fascial system, a body-wide system that's inclusive of yeah, um, all, you know, and then we would go through and list, like this is actually on the Fascia Congress website. So you can like go and look it up and read. Uh, mm. It actually lists <laughs> everything that it includes. And then it describes it as a system that, um, 
protects, contains, interpenetrates, interweaves. So it gives a whole bunch of kind of descriptive words for the, the system that contains all the all these aspects. So that um, one of the things I think is most relevant too, probably for what we're going to talk about is the the polysaccharide gels and the water to include that that's that's an aspect of within this fascial matrix. So if we think mm -hmm. of the body-wide gel that's all inclusive, that every it, it can't be separate from any other system of the body because it's interpenetrating every system mm -hmm. of the body. So that's the the fascial system is basically I I like to, I mean I know that you'll get this concept hopefully your listeners will too, but they it, it's very comparable to the kind of oneness idea. So when we think of in spirituality, often we'll talk about how everything is consciousness. Yeah. And then the the bits and pieces and individualizations are are aspects of consciousness, but they're not separate from, it's infused mm -hmm. with that same. And and the fascia is really like that. So it's fascinating to me that um here the fascia's it, you know, the fascial system's always been. It, it's never not been, but mm -hmm we're at a level or at a state in our human evolution where we're recognizing its significance. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's almost like, it's almost like a confession of where we are <laughs> in consciousness. The fact that we're seeing it, you know, mm -hmm. is almost evidence of that, that human consciousness is evolving, that we can actually name something that's so it's, it's like that idea of the, fish finally naming the water and <laughs> mm -hmm. it's swimming in that we're being able that we're naming the fascia system as so as significant as it is feels yeah like yeah yeah wonderful and I, I think you know to, to add into that too is with the fascial system being more illuminated as like that that's what the entire bodily system is it's the fascial system it is. and to be yeah. able to recognize that it's it's a processing organ in and of itself it is yeah right yeah, so, it, so the yeah. whole body is communicating it's receiving signals it's yeah. sending signals it's like that's yeah. what i found really profound was to start really tapping into the intelligence of every single strand within my body yeah and that everything is embedded within the fascial system Mm -hmm. So it takes you to a place, especially when you start really diving into its significance, it takes you to a place where every system in your body is will, will take you back to the fascial system. So mm -hmm. if we look at it as the immune system is embedded within the fascial system. So mm -hmm. the health of the immune system depends on the health of the fascial system. Mm -hmm. And same with the nervous system. So I learned this through working simultaneously with trauma, which is a lot of working with the nervous system, but also working with fascia. Yeah. And so the health of the nervous system will, you know, is also kind of dependent on the health of the fascial system. So you can, it's like every system will, will take you back to, yeah. is the fascial system involved um, yeah. people with chronic inflammatory conditions or, you know, that just, it just seems to be ground zero yeah. for so many things that, that now they're actually looking even into cancer research because seeing that, um, the, what's the word, um, it's not mastitis, but it's another M word, 
metastasize. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Where the where the cancer spreads. Uh, um, metastasize. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Metastasizes. Yeah. So they're actually looking now in oncology as the looking at the significance of the fascial. That was um, Dr. Neil Thies's big discovery that the um, that's how the that's how the cancer is spreading from one part of the body to another. Oh, wow. So. Yeah, so it just keeps popping up in so yeah. many different areas of health and well-being mm. to be kind of ground zero of um, just yeah, so many different so many different conditions Everything. that are intractable and chronic and complicated and difficult to treat and kind of almost sort of like mysterious in a way too. It's like, well, you know, we've, we've hit all these bases and you're not getting better, not sure why. And then, you know, we'll work with them on the fascial level or on the trauma level. And a lot of times these issues will resolve. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I don't think it's been researched enough to yeah. really give us the answers. It's just at the moment, it's just pointing to, mm -hmm. and it's become kind of a hot research area. Mm. but there's still so many questions oh yeah always well I'm, I'm curious could you describe a little bit of what that means to work with the fascial system like if someone yeah. comes into your space um your office um your clinic and yeah. you know there's something going on that's chronic or they can't figure it out what what does that mean how do you work with the fascial system um well uh so maybe I'll say this before I dive into it, is that the I work in a little bit of a unique way. Um, mm -hmm. So I was trained by John Barnes, and so I definitely do utilize the John Barnes approach, but because I'm also trained to, like trained in Hakomi, then I'm also working on the nervous system level at the same time. So I'm sort of simultaneously doing two things mm -hmm. um, at once. But so if I was only working with the fascia, it might look a little bit different that okay. I'm doing a more straight up structural work. So maybe more working a little bit with things like chronic pain or structural alignment or mm. um, just functional, like the ability for a muscle to innervate well, because now I've freed up that fascial adhesion that was in the way of. And right. because I'm working on the trauma side too, I'm sometimes accessing a underlying mental emotional traumatic holding pattern that's mm -hmm. maybe just a little bit below that so mm -hmm. but the way that i work is if i'm starting on the fascial side so i'm starting on the structural side of things that will do postural assessments and we have a visual scan and then we also do um like manual manipulations to test um, if if things are moving in the way that they're supposed to be moving. Mm -hmm. So if there is what's called a fascial adhesion, it will interrupt the way something's able to move in all directions. Right. And so when you do assessments, you can see that this structure is only moving up and down it's not moving right and left for example mm -hmm. and so when you get when you gather that data then you want to be able you want to be able to get that structure moving right and left and up and down mm -hmm. and so sometimes that's a neuromuscular blind spot sometimes there is no fascial adhesion there but there was at one time 
and the, the brain and nervous system just got really used to not moving in that way. Right. So sometimes it's a matter of releasing a physical adhesion that's interrupting the ability to actually, it's like, it's like stopping that body part from moving in that way. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's more neuromuscular. Sometimes it's more a kind of like somatic amnesia type of thing mm. where yeah. it, it's like, I can't, I, I can, but I can't <laughs> Yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. when I, when I do a, when I work with fascia, I'm yeah, basically on the physical level, if I kind of extract the trauma part of the work that I'm looking at fascial adhesions and um, kind of structural integration. So we're looking mm -hmm. at, at um, is and function is the body mm -hmm. able to move in the ways that it, that it should. Yes. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for explaining that. You're um, well, why don't we dive into tensegrity? Um, so I, what stands out to me, first of all, when I think of tensegrity is, is what you shared um, in one of the trainings is that tension is good. Yeah. And this was one of the first times that I've ever heard of tension spoken about in a positive light. Yeah. Um, so that in itself is really profound. Just the, one of those brain moments of like, what? Like, what, like is, what does that mean? Um, but I love that the way that really has helped me understand the tensegrity or the biotensegrity in the body is that the body is pre-tension. Yeah. And so the visual of, you know, this fetus in, in utero yeah. and how it's just like this ball of fascia that's congealing and twisting and um, coalescing and folding in on itself to create the separate systems that become the body but it all starts as this like ball of fascia yeah, yeah. and and from that ball as the skeleton structure even starts growing out and it's pushing yeah. into that ball of fascia to create the human form so yeah. it's it's like this little ball that gets stretched and pushed due to the, yeah. the growth from the inside out um, which makes it so if we if we didn't have tension in our body right now as adults or you know at any point in our life then we would be formless yeah right we'd, we'd be a ball of, of jelly uh, so tension is actually what holds our body in place <laughs> that's really well said really well done. Uh, yeah, yeah good yeah. yeah yeah like I think if you you really kind of almost in order to understand the principles of tensegrity applied to biological forms you do have to go to the embryo and be, and yeah. then understand that. So from that level, that's where you can see it, that this concept translated to biological form. Mm -hmm. But the, maybe I'll start with talking about it as architecture. Yeah. yeah. And then we'll apply it to bio, how that applies to biological forms. Cool. But the, the concept is, um, I guess, oh, shoot, I've forgotten his name. So there's Buckminster Fuller, and then there's I think it's Kenneth Snelson. I might be, I might have his name wrong, but I believe he was a student of Buckminster Fuller, but the, mm -hmm. um, he was the one that came up with the model that we all as tensegrity instructors use that, yeah. that those, those tensegrity toys or that icosahedron, it's the shape where you make the, the sticks and the strings balance out in such a way that it, Creates this architecture. So, mm -hmm. um, so forgive me if I have his name wrong. I think it's Kenneth Kenneth Snelson. Mm -hmm. I hope. <laughs> yeah, I'll um, but, check it on that. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Good. Forgive I'll me if up. I got it wrong. Yeah, and so it's this concept of architecture that. So if you look at it from the 
from a, a standpoint of buildings, it might be helpful to wrap your head around it a little bit. So if we think about building a building with, with bricks and um, concrete, and, and we make this, this, this solid wall, and then we think of it in terms of forces. So we have the, the, the walls, it's kind of like, a um, you know, we put a foundation and then we crib it and then we put all the bricks in and then it's all kind of um, reinforced, but it's very solid. Mm -hmm. And this type, this other type of architecture, which uses forces in such a way. So the, um, there's like cable, there's struts, so that we'll have like, um, sometimes steel cables and like the um, I'm not sure what the struts are usually built made out of in that but like if you think of a suspension bridge that might be the mm -hmm. best mm -hmm. um, to give you a visual I don't have a I don't have my little consecrity toy to show you yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so the the way that these architecture models are built is that the, it's it's the combination of the forces of tension and compression so you have the struts but they don't actually touch each other so imagine mm -hmm. these kind of like steel rods and steel cables and the, the cables all are con a continuous network of tension and it actually simultaneously holds the rods together but also pulls them apart. And it's that simultaneous, and, and the thing about making tensegrity models, which is, it's actually really profound to make your own model. If you ever mm -hmm. get a chance to, I'll, I'll, I'll make a video for you guys. Yeah, it's a good idea. <laughs> because what's really cool about it is that you're putting all the sticks in place and you're weaving the strings together and it doesn't hold until the final string is in place. And oh. then the entire structure pops out and is incredibly strong and stable. But for me, like I know where you're, you and I are going to go with this. The other thing that's amazing about it is that it's all open. Mm -hmm. When you look at a tensegrity architecture, and hopefully you can upload a photo of a couple of them. I will. Yeah. We so can look at them while while they're listening. That it's strong on the inside. You can squish it, and and it won't collapse. But you can also, if you were standing in the middle, you could see out in all directions. Mm -hmm. and people could see you but it's but in a sense you're more protected like you're safer in this type of architecture because it's quite strong right um but if you were to look at the the brick building it's it is strong too um i believe in tensegrity architectures are are a little bit more structurally um they they have more stability but mm -hmm. the that it's strong this brick building and if it has windows you can look out but there's a limited, it's limited in, because it really houses us in, right? Like, so it would just be so cool to me if we started actually building houses with this model and, mm -hmm. and maybe using glass instead of <laughs> what we do use, just yeah. to be able to feel a little bit more open and yet protected and from the elements, yeah. you know. So yeah, yeah. Mm. That's so good. Yeah, yeah so, so that's the concept on the architectural side. Yeah. And yeah. then the biotensegrity is is taking these concepts and applying them to biological forms. Yeah. And really we don't look like an icosahedron model on the inside. It's uh it's not a literal, it's not literal. Um, but it's the idea that the forces in play are what is translatable to the mm -hmm. body. So I think of tensegrity as the invisible aspect of the fascial system. 
that that's it's a it's a very important hugely important aspect of the fascial system but you can't see any of it mm -hmm. it's just the it's the invisible forces that are moving through it that actually allow it to hold its shape and for us to hold our volume and for us to move through space so it's we almost take it for granted but mm -hmm. it is um but it is a it's like you said about the pretensioning it's such a huge element of it so if you go can i talk about the embryo a little bit just to kind yeah. of weave it all together so totally. if you think of that moment where the cell divides so that first division into two Mm -hmm. And I think there's a, a woodpecker banging on my. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then what happens is the division of the cells creates a, because it's pushing, so it's proliferating from the inside out. So there yeah. it's, it's multiplying and getting bigger and bigger, but the membrane is staying the same size initially. And it's that um, dividing against a pressure that that actually allows it to go to the next stage which is the invaginating stage so it actually turns itself inside out mm -hmm. and there's another membrane on the outside that it's allowing all of that so it's that um and then it, which eventually becomes the skin so mm -hmm. there's the 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 kind of i know your listeners aren't gonna be able to see my hands but <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm taking my hands and i'm pulling them apart yeah. but it's that feeling <laughs> of if you're trying to pull your hands apart but you can't because there's some like it's like if you stuck both hands into a nylon stocking and then you went mm -hmm. to pull them apart mm -hmm. there, you would feel that your hands are moving apart but something is pushing back and containing and so if we put that con that into context of the cells proliferating against the membrane and that the feeling of that built up pressure mm -hmm. and then at some point of course you get the limb buds coming out like you described and once we get to that point in um, kind of fetal development then you have the bones developing quicker than the, the tissues around it and the membranes on the outside mm -hmm. and so that's the pretensioning so if you imagine a bone growing very 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 quickly and pushing against these tissues so again like that nylon stocking idea mm -hmm. that the when the bones come out and the fingers form there's that that pretensioning so if you imagine that limb bud now becoming an arm but it's all contained within that stocking and the stocking is now too small yeah. for the bones that are growing and so that enables the body to move that pretensioned um so what we would call in the fascia world is the tensional network and that tensional network is going to become hugely important once the once the once the infant now so once the fetus is now an infant so we go through the birthing process and now we are exposed to gravity in a different way those forces are gonna that tensional network is going to become hugely important in the development of the body and then of course there's also the compression and they're simultaneous so it's not just the pretensioning it's the it's the the, the push in too so you think mm -hmm. about if I push my hands together and then I go to pull my hands apart, it's those two forces that are in combination with each other that actually allows for the architecture, just like in the, just like in the, in the architectural um, analogy. Right. That what yeah, so it's the, the equal and opposing forces. Yes. 
right? Yeah, it's so if, if either one was stronger than the other, then the yeah, system would collapse. But because exactly. they're equal, mm -hmm. it creates this structural sound. Yeah, uh, it actually, yeah. It, it's stronger because of right. the two. So we have these, what could be considered opposing forces of tension and compression. And when they are in integrity, which tensegrity means tension and integrity, right. but it, it, you know, it really should be tension, compression, integrity somehow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you didn't give it any word <laughs> because the, it, you know, almost sounds like the compression isn't as important, but it has to be both right. together yeah. in, in unity in, which is the third quality. So there's tension, compression and unit and the unity of, so the mm. combination of the two in, uh, combination with each other which makes the the structure yeah I think of it as exponentially stronger I don't know if that it might not be quite that much stronger mm. but it does it is stronger than using a linear um, type of architecture yeah. So, yeah and it's and it's adaptive which I would say makes it ex exponentially stronger as well right it's, it's adaptive yeah. it's it can evolve it like it becomes like a living structure in a way it's not like this brick building oh. that just is what it is anymore it's it's so much more it's it's i mean the whole concept is really quite huge when you look at it in the when we look at it compared to biology like when we're using it as a biological model because in the history of our the the anatomical model that we have now we we have to go back 300 years in time to to making to comparing bodies to machines mm -hmm. and just even the mindset of where where things were in those days that um we weren't even allowed like the uh medical science wasn't allowed to do autopsies because the church wouldn't let right. them so just so many things were going on that 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 things unfolded from that where we arrived at the perspective that we have now yeah. of the body as a machine and it's so the foundation of how we arrived there is kind of like it's like there's cracks in the foundation so right. you know and and there's been so many medical professionals along the way that have been looking at going like um dr stephen levin i have to put a plug in for him because this is his life's work but he was an orthopedic surgeon and just looking you know doing surgeries and and going there's something not right it's not mm -hmm. what you know it's this isn't there's a we're missing something here mm -hmm. and um it's kind of like the math doesn't add up mm -hmm. it's the bodies are not linear <laughs> we're, we're not linear we're non-linear structures so there's something there's something that we're missing. Mm -hmm. And that kind of became, um, kind of began his exploration into what he's, he's coined the term biotensegrity actually, but he, okay. yeah, he's, so he kind of, I don't know how exactly it happened. I remember the story goes that he was at a dinosaur museum and was looking at the tail and going, mm. hold on a minute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this is a linear structure that tail would not be up, <laughs> you know, like right. that just, is like this doesn't add up and looking at a you know like a goose flying with the neck way out there it's like wait a minute if we're applying biological forms to these laws like to bodies as machines and lever systems there's something not it doesn't work so there's there's a piece missing 
And I think that began his exploration in biotensegrity. So he coined the term, he put the bio on top uh, yeah. integrity. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I remember, um, you know, I've been an athlete my whole life. And so I've moving my body is something that I, you know, I've always done, but it's, it, once I really got into yoga, that changed the way I related to my body, the way I moved my body. And after one of our workshops, um, talking about tensegrity and, and how the whole system is working together, I remember um, I got home one of those days and I just like, I just wanted to go do box jumps. And I went down to the gym and I just did box jumps for about 20 minutes. And I was so in my body. Yeah, yeah, and like yeah. doing that, like crouch down and feeling like my body was this spring and then firing up and landing. And it, it, it changed the way I perceived my body still to this day. I, I feel my body differently. I look at bodies differently because I am seeing it as a whole system now instead of yeah. parts or, or not even noticing at all. Right. It's, yeah, it's a huge shift, actually. It's, it, I mean, like it is, it, it's actually a paradigm shift completely. It, 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 it rocks your world when you yeah. make this shift. Um, the, the other, the other part of it is thinking like the, the comparing the body to a machine and this linear model, it, it tends to invoke the idea that it's not always moving and always changing and always right. growing. And so the dynamic aspect of the body, it, it's not that it's not there, but it's that when we're comparing the body to a machine, it just paints that picture of it. It just gets you viewing through a certain lens mm-hmm. that where things are skipped over and missed that you wouldn't see. And if we take that lens and we, you know, take it off and we look at the body through a little bit more of an open filter, we start to see all these other, all these hidden aspects that have always been there, but we couldn't see them because this, this model just, you know, put in certain biases so that we wouldn't, we, we, you know, just almost like forget to notice it. Yeah. And so there's principles within tensegrity that when you start to apply it to the physical body, it is, it's a total game changer. So this yeah. idea of dynamic, like the dynamic aliveness, the ever motion, the, it's just something that you take for granted mm-hmm. a little bit if you're not really looking for it. Totally. And the other yeah. one is the utilization of forces that when things are in integrity, when you're able, when you're in a tensegral range of motion, mm-hmm. that, you're, that your body's ability to utilize external load and forces is different mm-hmm. than when you like max something out because we're thinking in the old model would we'll be looking in terms of this, the body is separate pieces and parts that are woven together. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I can isolate this muscle group and use this part of the body alone and have the rest of the body not doing anything or stagnant or not involved. Mm -hmm. And the reality is when you look at things from a tensegrity point of view is everything is always moving everything, no matter what you cannot isolate (laughs) something. And that's actually good news. So you, but it changes the way, um, it changes your perception because it's, it's probably always been happening, but it changes your perception of how loads are distributed through yeah. the system. Yeah. And for me, this really rang true when I, when I started getting really into hiking and scrambling mm. because I, 
I was really good at taking the tensegral range concept to my yoga practice and even at the gym. Like I was mm -hmm. starting to incorporate it even to like weightlifting and stuff like that as well. Mm -hmm. And I was like, just jiving on this, how much stronger and kind of like your box jumping, mm -hmm. <laughs> like just how much better I felt in my body yes. and how, how able I was like, just how embodied I was able to be yeah. through my yoga retreat, through my workout. And, but I wasn't for whatever reason applying it. I was just kind of like suffering through and struggling through climbing mountains. Yeah. <laughs> and then this one day I was like, Oh, when are we ever going to get there? And I realized that I wasn't in integrity. I was like, Oh, I've, I've left my window of tolerance. <laughs> <laughs> and so it just, I kind of clued in. And it was a really, really, really um, steep grade and a, you know, moderate scramble. And I remember kind of all of a sudden being like, why am I not utilizing tensegrity right now? Because mm. this external force could be extremely helpful if I could find a way to use it instead of fighting against it. Yeah. So I was fighting with the steepness. Yeah. And it was exhausting me. And, and when I did my, my tensegrity practice, so I came into tensegral range, I changed, which meant I had to change my stride length a little bit. And I had to change my mindset a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then I was in integrity. And all of a sudden that steep grade was, was working for me. Now I could lean into the mountain and it, it was helping me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so instead of, this being this force outside of me that I had to fight with and struggle and push through all of a sudden it was like, Oh, cause I was out of integrity. Yeah. So I got back in and that was when I, that moment was when I started seeing, Oh, this is something that applies to everything. Yes. I can yeah. apply these principles to every facet of my life. And it just like, it totally was a game changer. Yeah. In, yeah. Like in athletics, but in everything like, yeah. in you know, relationships. Yeah, yeah, totally. I can see that as a paradigm shift. Like it just reinforms the way you perceive everything at that mm -hmm. moment. And mm -hmm. that's, I think that's what for me has been really, really profound as well is that when I really, really understood and captured this new understanding of how my body works, like you said, it, it changed the way I, I now view everything. So not right. only is there this tensegrity, this relationship within the body and the different parts that you might be paying attention to at different times, but you can think of that tensegrity relationship like a triangle, I would believe, right? Like there's the two seemingly opposite. So in the body, it's um, force and um, compact, what well, it's compression, right? Tension and compression, yeah. Yeah, tension and compression. And then the other piece of the triangle would be uh, like the one who's witnessing or the unity. The, the unity. The combination of. So it's that equal opposing force. It's like they're yeah. leaning in like a teepee towards yeah. each other. Okay. Yeah. So then when we're looking outside our body in terms of like a relationship between like me and my partner, yeah. for example, right? Sure. Having, having a healthy amount of tension in that relationship is actually what makes it strong. Yes. It's actually an architecture. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. like a building material. <laughs> yes. And so yeah. we could view that as like, you, you know, some, some of the like leadership, um, theory that I, I study and, and work through, one of the things that's really important in relationships is that status stance, right? And so this is just coming up to me now is this idea of if, if in, a, in a relationship for it to be healthy, both parties need to have the opportunity and ability 
to be in a higher status level occasionally, whether it's like, you know, this is, this is my realm that I know really well and I get to bring my partner in and, and I'm the expert and in other situations, it would be the opposite or like I'm having a rough day. I can't give as much. And so my partner has to kind of level up or vice versa, yeah. but having that healthy dance, like wow. to me, that could be the tensegrity, right? And then because it's fluid, it's not always here. Mm -hmm. It's more of like this dance that creates that equal partnership. So I love that you're bringing in relationships because it's so applicable. And mm -hmm. what, to me, what you're painting right now is the, the dynamic, the dynamic um, aspect that we were talking about a few minutes ago. The fact that everything's fluid and moving all the time. It's reorganizing and restructuring every moment mm -hmm. of every day. And that's a principle of tensegrity that I think, um, I just want to highlight the importance of it because it's relevant with the COVID issue. I think because when we think of, uh, I got to put in a plug for Yap Vanderwall, but he's an embryologist yeah. who's just phenomenal, phenomenal human being. I love him yeah. to death, but he, when I um, talked to him, he basically said that these, his study of embryos woke him up. I'd love for you to get him on the show. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, actually, I was, I was talking about him with Beth on my last episode, um, oh, and you're the one that introduced me to, to him and his work, so yeah, yeah. Ma manifesting it, I'll get him on the yeah, podcast. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so in, in his study of the embryo, he said you cannot study the embryo and not wake up. Like it's, there's something about watching it and watching it and watching it and, and the miracle of life is so revealed. And so the miracle of what we are is become so obvious. And to, to me, the, the kind of takeaway message of his work, which is so significant to the dynamic aspect is that we're never not the embryo that we, mm. we can see, we, we can watch a time lapse or, or like a computer gen of an egg become a nine month fetus become going through the birth canal to become a newborn and watch that entire thing and just have your mind completely blown with what even are we? Yeah. And, and then kind of think it's like, that's the end. You know, I'm, I, I'm now I'm born and somehow that stops or, or now that I'm an adult and I'm fully grown somehow that's so it's like, especially when we're now our, you know, so we, we forget that. And, and then we start to think of it in terms of aging that in, it, it's like, we, we've reached the apex, apex and now it's declining and, um, but it's actually it's, it's such a powerful reframe to think of it in context of mm -mm, you're actually becoming, you're always becoming, you're still the embryo unfolding. And, mm -hmm. and then that even puts the, you know, the end of life and death phase of our human journey into a completely different context. I'm still becoming, what am I, you know, what, what next? <laughs> yeah. It's so much more exciting to think of it in that context than, and to think of it as, oh, there's this miracle and I'm this fetus and now I'm an infant and whoa, now I'm a full grown and now I got to deal with all my trauma and, and, that, and then I'm going to decline and decompose and die. <laughs> so depressing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this idea of we're always the embryo, that we're always mm. becoming and, and, and folding and 
and organizing to greater complexity and you know so it's it thinks of it's in in terms of it being an evolution of like what am i becoming it's like mm-hmm. something so profound to really to really med- meditate on and i love that you brought that into relationships because that aspect of the dynamic of the the like that self-organization and mm-hmm. self-assembly of this architecture it's continuing to evolve and unfold and reorganize its shape according to the conditions and it does that Mm -hmm. automatically that that's happening in all aspects of our life Mm -hmm. so it's happening in the body we we can appreciate that like if i breathe in an allergen and i have an allergic you know like my immune system responds so that the we take these little things for granted that the body is continually responding to the environment internally and externally and then we take that into relationships that the there's so many dynamics and aspects within a relationship that's the same that like you talked about with power mm-hmm. position and yeah so many facets that you could you could take this concept of tensegrity mm-hmm. <laughs> and you could apply it to every facet of the human experience we yeah. can it to our emotional well-being to our mental well-being to our moods um and then i just maybe can i touch on the triangle thing that you talked about also because i think that's a really significant thing in the mental in the mental realm because of the if we look at the other paradigm of the machine it's kind of like we think of it in context of like this one paradigm is like it's like this or that and Mm -hmm. and we have to choose one and this other paradigm being it's actually this and that and the structure is stronger thereof Mm -hmm. if it's this and that and and i'm and we bring in the third thing which is the the um space around it that allows for both and the unity of both the we can think of that in terms of an architecture that's stronger because of mm-hmm. because of the two and the other one we look at as okay so there's there's these conflicting forces which one's gonna win mm-hmm. you know it's like is 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 compression gonna win or is tension gonna win like which one which one gets to win and in the tensegrity model th- those things can happen you can have too much compression and not enough tension and you want it but the body is also seeking for balance in that. Mm-hmm. But that's the shift. So that's the shift from um, kind of like a competitive, c- competitive energy around which force will win mm-hmm. to thinking in terms of a collaborative model where both need, both need to be there in yeah. such a way that now the entire mechanism is stronger because there's two. I like that, that both need to be there. I think, yeah. you know, what it, it takes me back to even what you mentioned at the beginning of what's, what's in your heart today, of looking right. at those two opposites of, yeah. you know, this, this worry and this, like, seeing and feeling the suffering, yeah. uh, you know, and what's going to happen, and the exact opposite of this, this joy and excitement of watching innovation and seeing how people are coming together. And, um, you know, I, I hear a lot of people really struggle with that yeah. of like 
you know, today I was, it's been a good day. I've been feeling this, but now today I'm, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not happy with these thoughts that are coming up and I'm, you know, jealous that other people can feel this way and I'm not. And, and to be able to actually step back and recognize that you're actually stronger because you can hold those two seemingly opposite states and to stop trying to fight one or the other or put one on a pedestal as if it's more important and to actually just step back, get out of the drama and just recognize oh, yeah. you need both. It's so good, right? And so here's where Tim Sagerty becomes practical, right? Here's where we can actually take this concept and apply it to something so real to all of us right now, mm -hmm. this, this global pandemic, because it is a, it's a, it's a type of philosophy that can apply to anything. So we, we can think of it in terms of, um, is there a way that we could bypass the worry or is there a way that we could cut out the negative emotions or the negative thoughts and be left with what's good, which is the, that we're coming together. Mm -hmm. And this concept is, is, is about taking one step further back and looking at the combination of the two together and that the, the invisible forces within are actually weaving an architecture that makes us stronger because of the two. So mm -hmm. it's not that the suffering is wrong and we have to somehow get it out of there so that we can get over into this good plays, it's that yeah. the, the suffering is woven within the architecture of something bigger. Mm. That it's, it's an important piece. It's like a strut within that architectural model. And it's like when you're making 10 segregates, if, if you don't have all the sticks, it doesn't work. Right. So if I were to leave out that one stick, the entire architecture wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't fit. I need them all. And so we need the suffering. Yeah. We need that little bit of the irritation or that little bit of the rub or that little bit of the grind in order because it's a piece in the whole. Yeah. And when they're all together in this integral um, alignment, then everything works. Yeah. And so I think, I just think it's a really practical tool when, when um, I've been, I've been using it in my meditation practice and I, I, it's still a little bit of an embryo <laughs> idea, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm starting to weave it into, into a way to work with our mental and emotional landscape to help us get through these challenging times. So the way that I've been working with it so far is to think of it in terms of when I have conflicting um, feelings or thoughts or emotions playing out inside myself. And rather than try to process or get rid of the negative and get myself over to the positive, which I think is just human, right? I think mean, it's just like what we want to do. It's like, mm -hmm. can't I just <laughs> yeah. never feel this again? Yeah. <laughs> if only. It's yeah. Real. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so what I've been doing is when this um, struggle comes up, Mm -hmm. to think to weave it into a tensegrity for mm -hmm. myself so give it its place within the whole give it its give it its strut within the architecture mm -hmm. of the whole and see that it, you know if i can take a little bit of a step back and hold both at the same time i can start to actually feel that i'm stronger thereof mm -hmm. 
So are you speaking to, um, you know, when you have uh, an emotional charge or something comes up for you, you, you're calling in the opposite emotion as well? Is that? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm looking at, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of taking a step back, scanning the, the totality of me mm -hmm. and finding its opposite pole and mm -hmm. then holding both together. So it's kind of like taking the, this concept of tensegrity and, and I'm putting it into a, a, my, and applying it to my internal mental and emotional landscape. Mm -hmm. So if I feel uh, anger, I might like, okay, like what is the opposite of, of that one? And so, and then I will maybe find it. And, and it, 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 it's been morphing. Like sometimes I'll find the opposite is just it's like the same emotion but on a different spectrum on our different bandwidth it's like oh like maybe it's passion like maybe mm. it's you know excitement or you know like something um something else that's kind of a hot uh, emotion and then sometimes it's like now like right now it's like the it's like whatever's cold you know like and so it's it's been it's been kind of as i experiment with it it's been taking on its own life a little bit it's weaving its own <laughs> Yeah, integral architecture yeah. in me, but it's been really fun to play with because what I find is that it takes a layer of the. Um, let's see, how do I want to say it? It it gives it a sense of like it gives my internal landscape a sense of dyna dynam dynamicism, the dynamicness. Not yeah. sure the word I'm looking for there, but I'm not it, sure either. <laughs> it's giving my practice a lot of aliveness. I guess I could say it that way yeah. to explore the explore the realms. Yeah. And so when something comes up around the, our current world situation, uh, maybe a feeling of helplessness, or maybe a feeling of hopelessness, or fear, or worry, that um, to invite that into this really powerful stable architecture knowing that it has a place in there there's a room for it somewhere within mm -hmm. this architecture there's somewhere it fits perfectly yeah. and then to yeah to hold it all together in this yeah. space like yeah you belong to yeah yeah, yeah we're you're yeah mm -hmm, yeah you let's find your space <laughs> where yeah. do you fit you know what's interesting when you're speaking of that the visual for me is it's the difference between you know that emotional charge that comes up so often the impulse is to like zoom in on it yeah and suddenly it becomes bigger and it's like you're perceiving the whole world through the lens of that emotional charge Nice. versus what you're doing is you're well, like you said you're stepping back or panning out to actually let go of that focal point fixation on that one thing invite it back into your complexity and yeah. recognize that it's one one important strand within yeah. everything else mm -hmm. yeah and and like without it the structure wouldn't be as strong yeah and stable that yeah. Be because it exists, it belongs somewhere within me. And, and because of its existence, I, me as a totality is stronger because of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, so for me, it's just such a beautiful way to frame it versus thinking that I'm weaker because of it. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I, well, I have to get rid of it so that I can then be strong. Yeah. Yeah. Or together or healed or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah fold myself into <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah that makes a lot of sense are, are you do you practice yoga nidra are you familiar with that yes, practice I, I am yeah i love yoga. you know 
Manamaya Kosha is is the practice of holding opposites. Oh. Yeah. So that's um I love I, I hated that portion of the practice when I first started practicing. Um yeah, I would get really confused and frustrated, especially when I was invited to hold both. My body, would, I would just have this reaction of like, what does that mean? Like, how do I do that? And, and then that frustration would spin me off instead of doing the practice of, okay, well, I'm now going to hold space for frustration as well, because that's very real for me. What does yeah. frustration feel like? Like just including everything instead of like, oh, that's wrong. I shouldn't be feeling that, which then spins you out of it. Um, but now I, it's from doing that practice that, and, and from working with you that I've, I've recognized the importance of, of opposites. Uh, and one of the things I've actually started doing as well is that when I have, um, I built this into one of my yoga nidra um, scripts actually, but just in general, one of my practices now is that when I have an emotional charge of any kind, to pause and visualize myself at four years old, emoting that charge. And all I do is I just hold space for her, you know, ah. watch, watch her have a little spasm or right. uh, a little freak out and I don't try to fix it or heal it. And <laughs> I just smile and I'm like, you're amazing, little Marin. Yeah. Like, you're, it's all good. And yeah, do your okay. thing. And um, it's it. become a very like fluid, organic process for me now. You know, the way you said that the, the embryo is always within us. It's well, the inner child is always within us. Like every... Oh every stage of our life is always within us. Like it's, that's what our body is composed of. Right. So, so any of these emotional charges that come up, they're just, whether you think of them as archetypes or patterns or subconscious characters. Um, yeah. But the more I do this work, the more I'm realizing it's just, it's little four-year-old me, like every yeah. emotional charge at this point. I'm like, there she is again. Oh, that's, <laughs> so beautiful. That's, that's just so lovely. That's, um, I, it, like it just really makes me think of Hakomi, which is the, um, it's such a beautiful system in how it works. It, it, it essentially is emotional tensegrity. I, I don't, I, I think that if I were to ever sit down with some of the founders in the work and talk tensegrity to them, they're like, oh yeah, that's totally what we're doing. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah. It's totally, it's totally that. Um, but the, the word Hakomi, and um, I should also say before I start talking about Hakomi a little bit here, is that in the Hakomi community is in the process actually of changing the name. Oh. Um, because it is a Hopi word, and there's some concern that it, that there might be a little bit of cultural appropriation happening. And so just kind of like the, the social responsibility has, has come mm. to the attention of some of mm. the founding members. And so there, that's a little bit of a work in progress, but I think it will. Okay go through a name change okay, in the next little while. Yep. But the word itself means, where do I stand among the many realms? Wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. And wow. so they kind of pared that down to mean, who am I? Yeah. Um, but I think that original description is so tensegrity. Like, it's so oh, lovely yeah. to think of it in terms of, how do I organize myself around this experience? So when I, when I'm in pure chaos, where do I, where am I among the 
you know, who am I among <laughs> yeah. all these realms and all these facets and all these layers of experience. So that's, the, that's basically the Hakomi way is to, to look at on an emotional, well, emotional and mental level, how do I organize myself around what's coming up? How am I mm -hmm. in relationship with what's coming up? Mm. So it, be, it just basically takes the tensegrity idea into our emotional landscape and, and mental, like, because our thoughts are involved too. And often our thoughts and emotions will be stuck together in some way. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. But that, to me, that's, um, it's giving me a visual of what balance actually is, mm. you know, because if, where do I stand in this? Yeah. It's the, it's this constant check-in of, okay, where, where's the tension? Where are the opposites? Yeah. How can I step myself up as the unity or the one that witnesses from that middle point? Yeah. 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 Is there, in what way can I hold both together? Yeah. 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 And we have various yeah. techniques in the Hakomi system where we, where we're assisting in the client and getting to that space. So sometimes there'll be, we call it taking over. So sometimes there'll be um, conflicting thoughts or conflicting parts, let's say, that there's a yeah. part of me that yes, right. says, I want to go do this. Mm -hmm. And then there's another part that's like, oh, last time you did that, it was so bad. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what if this happens? Yeah. Oh, it's so human, yeah. right? It's like, yep. I want to no. I want to no. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> and, yeah. um, so in the Hakomi system is we'll find these conflicting parts and we'll take them over. So I'll play those parts for you where, and you get to become the witness and watch the two together. Oh. So it's essentially that our relationship becomes the architecture that you can get to actually experience the tensegrity of wow. those two. Yeah. yeah. To see it from a new perspective instead of being like attached or shackled into it. Yeah, because because I think before you bring in that third, what happens is you're so your energy is tied into the conflict. The energy right. is tied into that. Which one's gonna win? Like, you know, am I gonna right. get to do the thing I want, or is the no gonna win? Like, which one? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then if we can bring that third point in and have them both there at the same time, mm -hmm. often what happens is the client will go to what's ever underneath. Mm. A, a memory or an experience or you know something is yep. will actually bubble up from right so it's touching and, on the wound or the limiting belief that's getting in the way from them seeing yep. it clearly yeah yeah exactly yeah that wow. there's some it, maybe an, uh, an experience happened and it was traumatic and painful and then as a child I made up that well I'm just gonna not go for what I want because that hurts too much too. Yeah. And so yeah. that'll all unpack because I think we bring in that third piece, right? And so now mm -hmm. I'm I'm more expanded and so I can let the the entire thing play out. Right. And you're time. stable and supported to actually allow things to come out whereas before yeah. there was so much chaos and uncertainty, our yeah. bodies are really good at, at keeping things at bay that are not yeah. not ready to be received. Yeah, and it just really speaks to the power of the tensegrity idea of that, like the the, the exponential strength, you know, mm -hmm. that it's like this one alone is this strong, this one alone is that strong, and the 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 space of the the containment of the two together is 
twice, three times, four times as strong kind of thing. And you can really feel that. I, I'm just having this little memory pop up of, of doing some tensegrity experiments in yoga where we were doing partner tree. Yeah. And I don't know if you were in the room actually when, when this happened where I was like, I asked a student to come and demo with me. And, and so we showed them what we were going to do. And so we got the, we had our arms around each other and we got our legs in there. To, to do tree pose. And then the last piece we brought in was the hands, like to have my hand meet her hand in the prayer. Yeah. And there was this moment where we were like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And then as soon as we, it was like it popped. Like as soon as we met, it was, and, and her face, she was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, I'm never gonna forget that moment. <laughs> yeah, wow. Someone else's aha of actually getting tensegrity on a real somatic, like, yeah. oh my God, <laughs> this is so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah. Experiencing it physically definitely is an important part to it, grasp yeah. it. Yeah, it really brings it to the next level. I think of understand rather than having it be a conceptual understanding, it's something that's very real and tangible. Yeah, and then it's applicable to so many things. That that pop, right? That moment of oh, okay, like I can do this now because I'm stronger. Yeah, stand <laughs> yeah. it or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. Wow. Yeah. Man, so many good things. I so, love this stuff. <laughs> oh, I could geek out on this all day. <laughs> seriously, yeah, and I do. Um, you know, and I, for the sake of time, I know I've been keeping you actually for a little while now. Yeah, so we should probably start wrapping things up. So I, I only have one other question that's not even actually really fully related whatsoever to fascia. So okay. before I dive into that, um, is there anything left unsaid or anything you'd want to add in regarding what we've talked about or you know anything come to mind for you well i think maybe i'll just say that um you know i'm careful who i say this to but i feel like you and your if anybody's following you they're probably on this trip so yeah <laughs> i would imagine so <laughs> so to think of fascia as like the non-duality tissue of the body or the oneness tissue of the body really helps that if you think mm -hmm. of it in, if you compare it to um, our yogic philosophy we know and love of unity of oneness of continuity of connection and we start to think of the butt frame it in that way it really helps it really helps our beingness it gives us it gives the um, it's a bridge actually is what it is. It gives a bridge, like a way that my spirituality can be expressed. And it, and mm -hmm. it, it it's becomes functional. It becomes a tool that I can use that here's this thing in my body that's real and physical. And that it's, it, it's a way that all of the mysticism stuff can become very practical where I can yeah. actually start to live it out in my life in a way that starts to really work for me. So instead mm -hmm. of being limited by the challenges, just like my experience on the mountain, that I can find a way to organize myself so that that external load, that external force now becomes an asset to me mm -hmm. rather than crumpling me being mm. too much compression right so that that there's um yeah i guess that would be the last thing i can say is that that it's it's a way that that we can make um that we can take spiritual concepts and bring them really down to earth and start yeah. to use them 
really, really functionally and practically in our lives. Yeah, I like that. And then it's really becomes like a factual base for expanding back out to understand unity consciousness. Totally, right? it, yeah. It gives us this nice template that actually we can start understanding the other realms. Yeah, it's a, and like when you start using it, like it becomes mm -hmm. very usable um, instead of it being conceptual. Yeah. Um, like kind of disconnected philosophies, it becomes very human and it yeah. becomes this, oh, it's like, here's how I can use that principle uh, yeah. in this fight I'm having with my partner right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just it's practical like, tools that we all need. Totally. It just starts becoming very human. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for sharing all that. Um, so my last question is one that I've brought up at the end of every conversation thus far. Um, I'm, I'm curious to hear your experience or relationship at this point in your life with cannabis. Oh, something, something you use, something you steer clear of, you know, where, where are you at right now with it? Well, actually, so, um, how long ago was it? it uh, maybe six years ago, I developed a chronic pain condition. It was neuropathic pain that mm. had no medical solutions. Mm. And for, and it was actually what led me down the, the, the fascia rabbit hole. I get in those years, I kept Googling my symptoms and I kept John Barnes kept. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, looking back now, it's like, okay, thank you, pain. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. For a while. But anyway, now you're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I was really, really suffering with that, with the neuropathic pain, and I tried all the medical interventions that were known, and all the pharmaceuticals, and nothing worked, and it was actually my sister who recommended it, who's an addictions counselor, interestingly, and mm -hmm. she recommended I try the CBD oil to see if that would work, and it totally did. Like, it was wow. the first medical intervention that actually took the pain down a notch so that I could do some, you know, like the, this is the thing, like if the pain takes you out of your window of tolerance, you can't actually right. do the work, right? Because you're not yeah. in your window of tolerance. So it was a yeah. way for me to get back into my window of tolerance. And then I could go, I knew there was trauma in the roots of it because of just the, the traumatic experiences I've been through in my life. I knew that was that in, in being a trauma worker myself, right? Just knew yeah. that what was in there, but I couldn't access it because mm -hmm. I was out of my window of tolerance. Mm -hmm. And the CBD actually did help me. It got me back into my window of tolerance. And I only needed it for about six months. And then do it the um, trauma work that I was doing and the structural work that I was doing took me the rest of the way. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. Wow. So I so since then I've actually been a fan of it. And yeah. um, up to that point I wasn't like before okay. You know, like, you know, way back before I ever had pain, I'd be like, no, I would have, I would have probably said that I was against it. Yeah. Um, especially in my kind of early awakened days, I, w mm -hmm. I was very much about um, not altering consciousness because yeah. pure consciousness was the drug. Like, you know, right. <laughs> like just being conscious, like being yeah. unaltered was the, was the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I was sort of against all drugs because I thought, oh, well, if you alter your consciousness, you're moving away from, mm. you know, and, um, 
but I had some actually really amazing experiences in like, because I was experimenting with how much THC and how much CBD and like, mm -hmm. you know, and I sometimes maybe get a little bit too much THC mm -hmm. one day and I'd be like, woohoo. Yeah, that's different. <laughs> you yeah. can imagine me, right? As someone who hasn't done drugs, you know, like just like so clean, <laughs> vegan, raw, you know, all of a sudden I'm like, hi. <laughs> oh, that would have been oh, hilarious to witness. Like, probably was really fun to do it <laughs> <laughs> and eventually mm. found my right dosage but I had some really profound experiences in that time frame that mm -hmm. that did change my view on it like I had moments where I thought uh, I, I kind of had a uh, let's see an enhanced ability to be myself mm. and I thought that's actually what the healing is the yeah. the freedom to just be who I am and and I think what's beautiful about it is that it's it's not addictive. So it's like you don't, you know, or or it wasn't for me. I don't know yeah. if it is generally considered addictive or not in the mass populations. Yeah, I don't. I think in general it's not. But but there's always some of personalities that are more yeah. more addictive. prone to addiction. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so for me, it just it gave me some really beautiful experiences. Um, but, but I think functionally the CBD oil was like huge in my chronic yeah. pain recovery. Mm, so, yeah. That's, yeah. I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah. 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 That's great. Well, I, I'm, thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. one of the other projects, I guess I'll call it that I have on the side of this is a, a sister podcast called the, the ZYX to live your dope okay. And it is. Uh, the the intention with it is to have a conversation again with the people that I've been having conversations with. Um, right. But be but before we connect, we ingest a little bit of cannabis. Oh wow! And uh, and so I'm still coming up with the parameters and what that'll actually look like. And I think most likely what I would love is to have like a set of silly but serious questions, and then and just see how the conversation goes. So I'm still playing with that. Um, but I wanted to see if that's something you'd be open to exploring. Well, I don't use it anymore now because like mm -hmm. the the pain doesn't. Yeah, the utility's uh, gone for I you. I don't mm -hmm. need it. So I and and again, like I'm I'm kind of a little bit back where I was in the sense of I just really love the unaltered state of just yeah. conscious. So I'm not sure. I I I kind of feel like I probably wouldn't at okay, this point. Good. But yeah. Know. Never yeah. Well, that's yeah. <laughs> well, and I appreciate that. And what um, and that's part of why I've been bringing this up is just to see what the response is actually like, and if yeah. this is something that is wanted, if people are interested in it. Um. So yeah, I think what I'll do is I'll get more clear on even what that looks like, and yeah. I'll, I'll of course include you in the invitation. But there's no expectation oh, on my end that you participate in something you're not comfortable awesome. with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I won't push drugs you know on you. I'm so yeah. curious about those conversations. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it'll be entertaining. <laughs> yeah, well, um, thank you so much for your time and your energy and your, your wisdom. I'm, um, I feel so good. Every time I speak with you, I get to experience anything with you. You just have such a joyful, infectious energy, and I'm. Just, oh, thank you. Yeah. So, I, I'm so excited to talk about it. I could talk about it all day. So. Good. Well, we'll <laughs> definitely do this again. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll leave the last few moments here for you to, okay. you know, plug your plug yourself of where people can find you. What's 
um, even right. if you have any planned meditations or if you have an interval yeah. of how you're doing that. Um, well, maybe this, actually that's what I'll, I'll leave your listeners with right now. Um, okay. You know, everything is just up in the air in the moment. I've postponed my teacher trainings to pretty much September yeah. um, just because I don't know my next uh, 300 hour modules booked in May, but I think that we're going to postpone it to September. So yeah. at the moment, everything's like on freeze and mm -hmm. um, pause mode. I don't even really have any upcoming online modules or anything like that. I'm just kind of in this limbo of waiting to see what's going to happen next. And the only yeah. things that I'm doing right now are these live meditations on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So look me up on Facebook, on social media. I I don't think I put it on Instagram. I don't Twitter. So really Facebook is the one that I use. I'll include the link a, for you. It is in a closed Facebook group that um, you'll have to get added to. So if you find me on Facebook and you um, just send me a message or click on my profile, you should, you'll, you'll probably find the link to get to this group. And we meditate together Monday and uh, yeah, Monday and Friday mornings at 10 a.m. Mountain Daylight Time mm -hmm. and Wednesday evenings at 9 p.m. Same mm -hmm. Mountain Mountain Daylight Time. And if you want to join and they're and they're also all pinned to the top of the page. All the replays are there. Mm -hmm. So if you just want some good, juicy tensegrity meditations and we've actually mm. played with tensegrity as a group so we've gone mm -hmm. into kind of like you know the squeeze in and and hold the space and and like we like one time we did the tensegrity between how we felt connected mm -hmm. and yet how we were opening for opening space for a miracle to come and that being the tensegrity we were playing with yeah. so we've just been we've just been exploring these concepts so that's really my main thing that i'm doing right now yeah um and then i'm sure once the uh global pandemic settles and things go to their new normal then there will be more so check out my website which is freelyhuman.com mm. and stuff will be posted there as well and um yeah and social media wonderful um, mm. Thank you, Christine. Thank you, Marin. You've so just brightened fun. up my day. Yeah. Oh, good. You brightened up mine too. So oh, great. Good. Thank you so much good. for having me. My pleasure. Okay. Yeah. Look, look forward to more. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, logging off. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And we will, yeah, get back to you soon. Bye, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. You can find me on social media at Dopamine, that's D-O-P-E-A-M-E, -E, or on my website under that same title, dopamine.com. Please subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed it, and do not hesitate to reach out if you have questions or comments. I would love to hear what you want to learn more about. So until next time, love big and play big. Peace.